If you have a Bible with you this morning, perhaps you could turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to be reading from the book of Matthew and particularly chapter 13. The writing format of the Gospel of Matthew is one called a chiastic format, which basically means that the writer intends for us to take a concentric journey into the center of the gospel. So in the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, we hear these wonderful, glorious thoughts that God has brought all kinds of people into his kingdom. Aren't you grateful that you're one of those all kinds of people that have been brought into the kingdom of God? As you look over the people and the list of people in Matthew chapter 1, you, you can't catch your breath at how generous and accepting and, and, and powerfully inviting is the call of God on individuals' lives. And right at the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, we see that God is sending all kinds of people out, people who ordinarily perhaps wouldn't feel qualified to extend his kingdom. And it's the great commissioning and the church's catalyst into a move of God where God is using people to reach more people for his kingdom's sake. In Matthew chapter 2, we see that Jesus, the baby Jesus, is in exile, that he has been hunted down by Herod, who's trying to thwart the plan of God where the Messiah is coming to the fore. And uh, it was decreed that all babies under a certain age would be killed of a male uh, orientation. And in Matthew chapter 27, we see that Jesus is in exile from heaven again. He has come from heaven to earth. He's taken the sin of humanity upon himself. He has brought it to hell. He has rose glorious from the dead, and he ascends eventually into the place that he came from. Amen? Okay. So when we look at the gospel, we realize that the, the gospel writer Matthew was trying to draw through his lens all of his thinking right through to the middle. And the middle of the chapter is chapter 13. But prior to chapter 13, we have some questions that begin to get poised. Jesus has healed the sick. Many people have been affected. The disciples are following Jesus. Many giving up their lives in the most incredible way because they believe that he is the Messiah, the promised one who had come into the earth to overturn every adversity against the people of Israel. And actually at the beginning of chapter 12, we see that that kind of, that move of God is taken to a place where it's starting to experience some adversity. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the people who are in places of spiritual influence are actually not happy with Jesus because Jesus is healing people on the Sabbath day. So the disciples have all kinds of questions, questions that perhaps you and I might ask too. If this is the kingdom of God, if you are the Messiah, then why isn't everybody jumping in on all that God is doing? And the truth is, church, that God is always at work, but not everybody sees it. Not everybody comes into partnership with it, and not everybody will give their lives to it. But right at the end of chapter 12, we see that the adversity deepens. No longer is it just uh, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes who have an issue with Jesus, but Jesus' own family start to question his sanity. They start to question whether or not he is who he thinks he is, and there's all kinds of adversity that comes towards Jesus in those moments. And we pick up the story, and Jesus is telling parables, their narratives, their submersive narratives that are thrown down alongside something that's a belief system in the culture. And Jesus is trying to educate people about what a move of God looks like and how they can partner with what God is doing. And some of those things will become apparent as we read together. So let's read from verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Say good seed for me, please. In his field, 
But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word. I wonder if you could pray with me. Father, it's not my desire this morning to share anything of myself, but really to invite your people to think alongside you and come into some kind of place where our hearts are awakened to all that you are doing amongst us. We so often think that a move of God is something that's happening somewhere else, but you are moving in our midst, Jesus. You are working miracles, you are changing lives, you are restoring hearts, and Lord, it's in that environment that you speak through the parables to invite people to deeper places of hunger. I pray that our hearts would be hungry by the time we finish this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. The first thing I want to highlight to you is this, that Jesus is not speaking about something that's coming. He's speaking about something that's here and is coming. God is already at move on the earth. All kinds of lives are being infected. Some people are coming in and some people are not agreeing. Some people are actually against what Jesus is doing. And so our first thought this morning is this, that it doesn't have to be big to be God. I want to suggest to you that sometimes and more often than not, God brings his kingdom in a very submersive way. The significance of that is simply found in this reality, that in all the plans that God could have had, to bring humanity back into relationship, it was indeed a seed that was planted in the womb of a virgin in a backwater place that started the adventure of opening up salvation for humanity. God, in a very secret and private and submersive way, brought about a kingdom that has impacted your life even today. And you and I are the benefactors of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Amen. And when God begins a work in anybody's life, he always begins it in seed-like form. That day that you got saved, a seed dropped into your heart, a truth of the revelation of who Christ truly is for you, your need for him, perhaps your joy to know him. However you receive the seed, that seed has had an impact on your life. Here you are many years later, and that seed is still producing in you the likeness of Jesus Christ. In your greatest attempts to avoid partnering sometimes with the will of God, you find yourself gloriously caught up in the power of that which Christ has placed inside of you by the seed of his word. You are being transformed. This is what we mean when we say his word will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. And God is at work in your life even as I speak. He's always at work in our lives because his seed is incorruptible, it's powerful, it has an impact, and it changes everything about us. And the key really to accelerating that is to partner with what God is doing. So let's talk a little bit about why Jesus is actually speaking into this for the disciples. They, like you and I, often found themselves questioning what was happening. Now, I don't believe that God has an issue with questions. I think questions can be very healthy in our relationship with God. They are very different to allegations. 
It's important that we don't get ugly in our allegations towards God, that we don't start questioning his goodness, that we don't come into partnership with negativity. But God is always doing something. He's always at work in our hearts and in our lives. And actually, questions are very healthy. I often find myself asking questions I know he has set up for me because they're the very things that he begins to unfold for me and my life begins to change from one degree of revelation to the next and to the next. Questions are very healthy. And in a little way, we're somewhat like little children whenever you ask them to do something. Could you put the milk in the fridge? Why? Did you ever go through that season with your child? I think my daughter said why more than any other word in the whole of her life. And you know, it, at first it was okay. It did get a little bit irritating. I must be honest, I am human, I'm not God. But, but, the, but the reality was that she was trying to understand why we were asking her to do certain things. She wasn't being disobedient. She wasn't being disrespectful. She was inquiring as to why certain things that seemed to her to be important to us were not that important to her. Is God not a good father? Does he not enjoy our questions? Is it not his heart to open up who he is for us, to reveal his nature, his character, the person that he desires to be for us? Questions are never a problem to God. Allegations will be because they will shut down any invitation that you may be finding because they're accusatory in their nature. We're here not to question God's will, but to discover it, to open our lives up to understand who he is. And when we understand who he is, we start to live very differently. So let me talk you through some things that I think are important for us. I believe with all my heart that the church of the future is going to see the most incredible move of the Holy Spirit like we have never seen before. Amen? I believe part of my role as somebody who's called into ministry is to prepare people for that day and that time and those seasons and moments and just many beautiful things that lie ahead. My passion is to see the church ready and, and available and in alignment with all that God desires to do. And in my thinking and in my praying, I found myself drawn to these particular parables. I spoke a few weeks ago on, on the one about the, the seed and the, and the good sower. I'm speaking today about this parable because I believe it's a parable of preparation for us. The first thing that I want you to identify is in verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Would you say his field for me, please? I want to invite you to an expansive moment because sometimes when we think about the kingdom of God, we're church-centric in our orientations. We believe without really communicating it that God generally moves inside the church. He moves in the hearts and the lives of his people, and that is true. But once you were not inside the church, once you were outside the family of God, once you were not a people, you were alienated to him by your sin. God moves in the church, but he also moves outside the church. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And when we think of kingdom, we need to move a little bit further in our minds beyond just thinking of great gatherings of God's people. We need to start understanding that God owns everything, that God is everywhere, that God loves everyone, that God can turn up in any environment and do what he wants to do. And we are testimonies of that reality. While we were not looking for him, the hound of heaven, the glorious God who pursued humanity was searching for you. You are the benefactor of the God who moved outside of the church. 
He maybe moved through the church, but he moved outside of the church. And you know, all over the world, incredible things are happening outside the parameters of a building. Why? Because the world is the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The field in this is not just the church. The field in this story is the world, that God will sow his seed wherever and however he chooses to in all kinds of environments. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that exciting. I was waiting for an amen. I find that exciting. I find it exciting that I can be on a tube and the kingdom turns up. I find it exciting that I can be, you know, huffing and puffing because I'm waiting in a queue to pay for my goods and suddenly the kingdom turns up. That something's happening right in front of me that looks out of place to me because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What that requires of me is to take my small-mindedness and offer it to God as a sacrifice and say to him, Lord, would you expand my territory to the north and to the south, that everywhere I go, I expect you to move. In every environment I find myself, I have this belief that you can turn up. In every circumstance that people face in this world, you have a plan and a purpose to prosper and to bless. God, I just want to join with what you're doing. I want to engage with what's happening in your kingdom. Now, the, the difficulty with being a pastor is you end up getting caught up with the church. You know, it doesn't say that the church is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It says that the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Sometimes I have to press past some of those invisible barriers in my mind to understand that God is at work in the world in which I'm living in. God can go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants through whoever he chooses to use to bring life and hope and joy into any particular environment. As I think that through, I realize this, that education belongs to God. I don't think you heard me. In a world where People are so incredibly desirous to be educated. I believe that we need to start believing and experiencing and moving towards a greater clarity that we, the people of God, are partnering with God to see his kingdom come in education. You know, often people say to me when they're sending off their young people to university, these are the prayers that we pray. Oh, God, keep them safe. Oh, God, keep them pure. Oh, God, keep them... Here, how about this prayer? God, release the spirit through them that, that that student's union is blown apart by the power of your spirit. How about this, God? When the guy comes to turn up for her and she's gorgeous, that she takes every demon out of him in the name of Jesus by the power of his word and releases him into relationship with God. God, make it so that they're so full of your spirit that they never even need to touch a glass of alcohol because the spirit is alive and it's welling up in them, Father God, and there's a press down shaken up and overflowing reality. Here's why we don't do that, church. Because we actually think that God is just about the church. God is about the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, and trust me, there's lots of whoever's in here, <laughs> would not perish but have everlasting life. If I go into my workplace with that clarity, if I go into my community with that certainty, if I speak to my family with that reality, the kingdom will come. The kingdom will come because I'm awakening my soul to the reality that the field belongs to God. Now, the move of God that will happen in the future won't just be in church buildings. God is going to bring people into the kingdom in every sphere of life. There's already a move of God in the arts in Hollywood. Lots of people are coming to a revelation of Jesus. Aren't you excited? Hollywood is one of the most influential um, uh, 
genres on the planet. Many of us, our minds are shaped by the narrative of Hollywood. And I think in many ways, God is tearing down some of the strongholds in Hollywood so he can release his spirit in power through those he has called in those creative environments. Now, we're not there to dominate those environments. We're there to serve the kingdom of God alongside someone else who doesn't believe in Jesus, God will raise up people who do believe in Jesus and great things are going to happen. If there was ever a time we should be praying and believing for Christians to be in politics, it's today. You know, if if Boris has done anything, he's preparing the way for peculiar people. And it's a peculiar invitation to us, but the church needs to not resist what God is doing, but work with his extended kingdom outside of our buildings, into our communities. God is moving gloriously. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What will happen by the power of the Spirit will far extend our meetings. Our scatterings might be even more attractive than our gatherings. God is using people, ordinary people like you and I, to partner with him to see his kingdom come. The second thing we notice in this verse is that the seed is good. So how many of us here today have been impacted by the seed of God's word? Give me a wave if you've had that experience. If you haven't, we pray today that God would do that for you. Did you honestly believe that it would accomplish in you what it has accomplished? I mean, have you noticed that you now don't go to places you always used to go? Have you noticed that your mouth has changed? Well, most of you, your mouth has changed. (laughs) Have you noticed that that the reason your mouth has changed is because your heart has changed? How crazy is this? Once you wouldn't even come to a place like this, and now you can't keep away. Even more ridiculous, you give your money in the offering. I mean, some of you were born tight. It has taken a miracle for God to do something in your heart. power of the seed. What God has done in you is good. What he's given you is good. The seed of his word, the seed of his love, the seed of his hope, the seed of his joy, it triumphs over every environment you find yourself in. It's unstoppable. And trust me, I've tried. Once you've experienced that, you can never truly go back to the life that you had. Because the God inside of you keeps drawing you more and more and more into the story that he's writing over your heart and life. What he has placed in you is uncorruptible. It's the beauty and purity of Jesus, the reality of God in the midst of humanity. And it has changed you beyond all recognition. When you look in the mirror, you don't even know who you are anymore. We are discovering who we have become as a result of all that God is doing in our lives, ever-changing from one degree of glory to the next, being transformed in the renewing of our mind. We're giving money to places we don't even know, and we worship God like we never thought we would. What God has done in you is good. If you haven't heard that this week, I need to tell you that God is good in your life. You are good seed. It's good. You are good seed. The second thing to highlight that we need to pay attention to is this, that every time God begins to move in a human life, the enemy also moves. Look at verse 25 with me. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. You see, one of the things that we need to pay attention to 
is that when God begins to move in me and in you, the enemy is roused. Because he knows that if we ever partner fully with all that God is offering us, his time is finished. His influence is over. A few weeks ago, a young lady came to me and she said to me, you know, I'm never coming out for prayer again. She came out on a Sunday evening for ministry, prayed for her. She said, I'm never, I've had the worst week of my life. She said, I'm never going to be, never going to come out for prayer again. I smiled at her and I said, that's the best week of your life. You just haven't got the memo yet. God's going to give you an upgraded mind. Here's why. Because what God's done in you has roused the enemy against you. When the spirit begins to move in a person's life, the enemy begins to move also. Here's what we do. We shrink back. Our pain threshold is very small and we shrink back. Instead of prophesying, we start talking about our problems. Oh, my life is hard. It's really difficult. Serving God is a, is a, is a, is a big sacrifice. You know, I say to people in ministry over the years, if that's all you think ministry is about, then you need to get out. Because there's somebody else to take your place who's full of joy and full of life and full of hope and full of peace. Now, I'm not saying that serving God isn't difficult, but Jesus, even these terms are important for us to think about. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, if the enemy can get you looking at your problems, he will never get you adopting your promises. And when God begins to move, he wants to distract you from what God is offering you. And we become problem-centric, not promise-orientated. Do you know, in every adverse circumstance, there is a glory for you to experience. You should rejoice when the enemy comes after you. If you understood how the kingdom worked, you would lift your voice and praise the Lord. Sing, O barren woman, sing. The circumstances say one thing, but my God has promised me life. When I go to work and somebody's against me, I should lift my voice and praise God. Because the God inside of me is shifting something around me and the enemy wants to distract me. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I lift up a standard with the Lord. I lift up the power of the truth of Jesus Christ. I lift up the glorious reality that I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm restored. I'm being set free by God. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Forgive me if I'm a little excited. Adversity might be a sign to you that God's glory is coming your way. Do not shrink back. Move forward. When accused of all kinds of things, King David said these words. It was a destiny moment. You don't like me dancing freely before the Lord? Well, listen, babe. It's about to get messy. I'm going to become even more undignified than this. Do you see, my praise prophesies kingdom realities. My problems brings me into partnership with the, the devil who is against me, but my praise prophesies kingdom's reality. I have to partner with the praises of, of God's invitation. I have to come into alignment with the promise of God. I cannot be in solitary confinement trying to work it out on my own. God is with me. God is for me. No weapon fashioned against me can prosper. And just like in the story, when the kingdom comes, I can be half asleep. It's important for us to not be asleep. God is at work amongst us. God is doing something. Over the last few months, we've seen a real increase in the prayer life. Personally, I have, and I know that corporately we have too. 
God is doing something. A hunger is stirring in the hearts of his people to be near him, to be close to him, to enjoy his presence. We may have been slimed by the world, but we are not confined by the world. We are defined by the presence of God and the truth of God's reality in our lives. I may have had a wretched time or a difficult season, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And one day I will be like him. Somehow through the process, he will make me more like him. I am not without hope in a hopeless community because my God is with me and my God is for me. Nothing can stand against that when I come into partnership with that. I align myself with the truth of heaven here on earth. So God is doing something in our prayer life. People come to me all the time and they're saying, you know, I feel myself really drawn to spend time with the Lord. We know, let's just keep it real. That can't be the devil. Whatever's happening there, it's not the devil. Please don't waste your time getting in in all of that. That's got to be God. God draws people to himself. And here's what happens. As we lift up the name of Jesus, we are drawn even closer and closer and closer. And why is that important? Because to live in this world and to step into the future he's opening up for us, we need to have a real robust sense of his presence in our lives. Not just a theology, a reality, a certainty, a confidence, an abiding sense of his goodness amongst us. I don't believe just having a good idea will take you into the future or even a correct thought. You need to have the countenance of the Lord to tear down the strongholds of the enemy and to lead you into victory. It's more than words. It's his power. It's his power amongst us through his presence. So are you sleeping? Is there anybody sleeping? Wake up, O sleepyhead, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We don't want to be sleeping in this hour. We want to be wide awake. We want to be completely and utterly obsessed with what God is doing. Possessed by love. Drawn to deeper encounters. Open to all that he wants to do. And fierce in our intentionality to restrict what the enemy is doing. Not being caught off guard because he's coming against us but knowing that the reason for that is that God is for us. Someone say amen. amen. Every time God moves, the enemy moves too. I think it was way back in the late 50s, early 60s, maybe somewhat into the 70s, one of the greatest revivals that ever taken place on the earth was the Jesus people revival. Here's the problem. It was a bunch of hippies. I mean, they neither looked like Christians or even particularly acted like them. But God began to move in amongst them. Thousands and thousands would turn up for concerts. They'd be gone for months away from their families and their home. They were against the anarchy and, and sorry, against the, the discipline and against the establishment and all kinds of things were happening at that time. But God spoke freedom over humanity. And as he spoke freedom over humanity, they began to move in the things of the Holy Spirit. Some of them would turn up in meetings and they weren't even dressed appropriately. Some would do water baptism and they had nothing on at all. Now the difference about this move of God is often the moves of God that we talk about are geographical. If I say to you the Hebridean revival, you think of Scotland. If I say Azusa Street, you think of um, Los Angeles. But this wasn't a, 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 a a geographical revival. This was a demographical revival. God was moving through young people. He was moving on young people. And you know, when they turned up at the church, you didn't know whether they were in the kingdom of God or they were outside the kingdom of God. You couldn't tell. Everybody had a beard. 
including the women. Everybody had a beard. Beards were the thing at that time. And God was moving in a way that he had never moved before, unprecedented, unparalleled, through people that we never thought he would choose, and it was powerful. It's estimated that the largest amount of people came to faith through that move of God than any other move of God that's taken place on this planet. But the church pretty much was sleeping through it. And when these people turned up at church, they didn't know what to do with them. Many would suggest that they needed a bath before they could prophesy. I'm sure it wouldn't have hurt, but it wasn't God's priority. God is moving. And because he's moving, the enemy moves also. Alongside a move of God in the Jesus people was a move of other spiritual activities. People were getting into transcendental meditation. They were getting into tripping on LSD. God was moving across the world, and some people were catching the things of the Spirit, and others, because permission had been granted by God over the earth for freedom, were catching other spiritual things. We should never be disheartened when we see the enemy at work. Because he only works in sorrow that he knows that God can do something good in. We should think a little bit differently when we look out at the newspapers and all that's happening in our world. We should not and ever be paralyzed. We should be energized. Because what it says to us is that God is at work in our world. The enemy has never wasted one single word. He's very intentional in all that he seeks to do. And when you turn on the news, you can get a little bit overwhelmed by that. But do not be overwhelmed. Rise up. Rise up in it and say, God, if that's where he's working, I'm prophesying life over that. If he's causing this over here, I'm going to speak life over it because he's intentional about where he targets his efforts. That means, God, you're at work. I'm going to say something now. You can weigh it yourself. In our city, over and over again, we hear reports of young men and women caught up in all kinds of crime. We have been labeled around the world as the knife capital of the world. Church, I'm telling you in Jesus' name that a move of God will come through young people in this city like we have never seen before. That deserves a better hallelujah than that. We must not be sleeping. God is at work in young people's lives. While the news tells us one thing, our spiritual discernment tells us another. The Spirit of God is moving in young people. Do you know while this is happening in our city, there are thousands and thousands of young people who are giving up their lives to serve Jesus in all kinds of contexts all over the world. Some of them are going into environments that are 24-7 prayer. You remember how hard it was to get young people to pray? They can't keep away from the presence of God. Do not let the propaganda of the enemy dampen your faith. God is here. He is working amongst us. Rejoice, rejoice in what he's doing. And you know, as we rejoice in what he's doing, it begins to grow. It begins to increase. I don't want to be asleep when I should be paying attention to what the Lord is doing. The third thing I want to highlight to you is this. That when God begins to move, whatever is in the soil grows. In this story, we see that the wheat and the tares grow up together. It wasn't until they sprouted the fullness of their heads that it, they became identifiable as either one or the other. And I want to just suggest to you that we need to rethink how a move of God works its way in and through our lives. It's possible for God to move in power and your heart to be bitter. 
Because what is in the soil of your heart, when the Spirit begins to move, will grow up in your heart. So if you have joy in your heart, it will increase in a move of God. If you have faith in your heart, it will grow in a move of God. And there'll be lots of evidences that, that faith is growing as a result of what you're experiencing with God. But if in the soil of your heart you have bitterness, that will also grow. We have this notion that when God moves, all of our lives are cleaned up. You see, what we need to understand is that God is moving, but if I want to join with what he's doing, I have to move towards him. I have to come under the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and trade my bitterness in for blessing. Train my unforgiveness for mercy. When we were in Glasgow, we saw God move. And I remember one night, we had a powerful encounter with Jesus. Loads of people saved and healed. And I look out of the corner of my eye, and there were two men at the back arguing with each other. What made it even more difficult is they were key leaders in the church. And I wondered, you know, what was it that caused that? And I had no idea that it was me. And somehow, in leading the worship, I had got to the point where I began to prophesy some things. And they came out of a particular portion of Scripture that talked about God bringing judgment first to the house of the Lord. That he would cause us to be beaten like wheat and chaff so he could separate the good from the bad in our lives. The work of the Spirit in us is powerful to those things. And at the end of the meeting, they come up to me and they said, Pastor, I'm always a bit unsure when people address me as pastor. There's a phrase I heard many years ago, be careful when people are butting you up, they're about to take a bite. So pastor is, oh, okay, what does this, what's this going to turn into? And so I listened, and they began saying to me, that isn't God's nature. God does not judge people. God does not bring judgment to the house of the Lord. Da, da, da. And they went on for ages and ages. And, you know, I stood there, and I was so hurt by it. Not for me, but hurt because, actually, we had seen God do great things. First of all, why did you end up talking about this whenever somebody's eyes have opened? They've been blind for 20 years. Somebody's leg got completely healed of arthritic pain. What on earth brought you to that conversation? See, what's in you in a move of God grows up. Now, these same people stood in meetings with me, and they prophesied that God would do something powerful in our midst. They prophesied for awakenings and blessings and healings and restorations. And while they were happening, they were having conversations. But the joy of the Lord is this, that the night before, as I put my head on the pillow from the meeting, we had nightly meetings, God brought me to a scripture, and I fell asleep just listening to the voice of the Lord through this particular recording, speaking a scripture that actually was word for word the song that we had sung in the prophet, prophecy realm. You have taken the precious from the worthless, given us beauty for ashes. Do you remember the song by Kevin Prosh? So come. And so I just opened my Bible and I handed it to them. And they read the words and they flurried off to the back. And I thought, God, how can it be that when you're moving in power, people are caught up with something other than what you're doing? You see, you can be in a meeting where people are touched and healed and restored, and you could go home in a bad mood. You can be in an environment where God's leading many to faith in Jesus Christ, and you can go home and you're questioning whether or not it's God. What's in you 
What's in the soil of your heart will grow up alongside what God is doing. And therefore, when we start to see God move, our posture cannot be to critique a move of the Spirit. We can ask as many questions as we want, but our heart should be, God, will you touch me? God, will you heal me? God, will you involve me? I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to be involved in all that you're creating here on the earth. We need to move towards God when God begins to move. I've been around church a long time. I can stand on platform and say, God's doing something through our prayer ministry. And I know in our hearts, some people would say, no. I can say this too, that God's doing something in our worship. And I know some of us in this room might go, I don't get it. I don't feel it. I'm not even sure it's true. I can stand here and say, God is moving through healing and signs and wonders. They're very small and very beautiful, but they're moving forward into deeper things. And some people will say, I don't know. I don't know, is that really God? You see, because if God was moving, then everybody would be cleansed. If God was moving, we'd all think the same. If God was moving, we'd all feel the same things. Church, I plead you, when God begins to move in anyone near your life, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And if he's not moving in someone's life, mourn with those who are mourning. Because as we partner with what God is doing, we make ourselves available and we could be the next candidate he chooses to move on. If someone's receiving a blessing over here and they, you know, we prayed for years to have a child and it was just a season as a pastor where just everybody was having children. I don't know what was in the water in Glasgow, but every week there'd be another dedication as we'd stand there in our pain trying to be happy for people. God taught me in the midst of that if you can rejoice with those who are rejoicing, you are positioning yourself for all that I want to do in your life. It's not okay for me to critique what God is doing. My job is to embrace what God is doing. I may have questions. It may not happen for me in the same way as this person or that person, but actually I want to be open-hearted and I want to be humble and I want to be accepting of what God is doing in other people. Another thing that happened is somebody said, it can't be God, because when the Spirit moves, people fall forward. They'd read something from a, from a revival experience, they move, they fall forward. I said, I don't know why you're caught up with that. Does it matter if they fall backwards, do they fall sidewards? I mean, what does it matter what way they fall? What matters is how they get up. Just because you can't see it, or feel it doesn't mean it's not happening. Please be humble. God is doing something. We don't want to disqualify ourselves. And remember, as the Spirit begins to raise people to life, there are some things in us that start to rise too. Be careful of pride. Be careful of judgment. Be careful of anything that stops you from entering what God has for you. Verse 27 says, The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? I've already explained to you that when God moves, the enemy moves. I don't wish to continue to develop that thought. I think it's self-explanatory. But I, I do want to just add a little something to our thinking around that. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Now, I don't know about you, but in church, there are people who have a pulling up ministry. You see, 
because we're uncomfortable with how God is doing something or who he's choosing to do it through, we think we have to pull everything up. One night I stood on a platform like this and a, and a woman who'd been in a wheelchair for 13 years stood to her feet. But because the young man that prayed with her was insistent that she stand because he, he wanted her to see the power of God in her body, she'd not walked for 13 years. Somebody from the back came with a pulling up ministry. And they pulled him up. And they said this, that's no way to treat an elderly lady. And he looked at me because he wanted me to cover it in some way. And I said, that's right. You should have made her stand sooner. Because she's been waiting longer. And the pulling up person disappeared and scuttled off to the back. That young man went on to pray for the sick. And many people got healed and restored through the ministry that God was raising him up in. With all due respect, we don't need any more heresy hunters. We don't need a, a ministry of pulling up. And in fact, it says here in this particular parable that Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, when that begins to become a temptation, stop it. Because you will disrupt what God is doing in other people's lives. It's always going to be the case that there's going to be people amongst us who are not necessarily for us. When God is moving in one heart, doesn't mean he's moving in every heart in the same way. It's not our job, nor do we have a mandate, nor do we have the capacity to be pulling up people. If anything that needs to be pulled up, it's my socks. I need to pull up my socks and think a little bit more clearly about some things. And eventually the evidence becomes visible. The wheat and the tares began to have a demonstration of fulfillment. That tells me that right now, I can't really see what God is doing in anybody else's life. Have you ever watched how God begins moving in somebody? And they probably wouldn't be somebody you choose. Particularly as a pastor, because we like everything neat and tidy. This sounds quite messy to me. You know, maybe the pulling up people should be our ministry team. It would seem to me that what I think is order is not order in the kingdom of God. That God is quite happy for the wheat and the tares to grow up alongside each other. But a time will come where he will instruct his servants to go, and in this case it's the angels, and separate the wheat from the tares. It will become visible which belongs to whom. In the meantime, my job is not to critique somebody else's spiritual journey or even to question whether they're part of this community. My job is to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. My job is to walk with him humbly, to ensure that I am rooted and established in his love, that I'm open to all that he's doing in the Holy Spirit, and that my life is given over, not just casually, but intentionally to see his kingdom come and his will be done. The truth is, church, the kingdom often comes in unexpected ways, through unlikely people with unprecedented impact. As we look at this parable, we're being prepared in our thinking and in our orientation for all that God is doing and all that God will seek to continue to do. Because the time is come for the church to rise in her fullness. 
And you are a candidate to be part of that. Now, my hope in preaching this message to you was not to educate you, but to stir the hunger in your soul for more of God in your life.